The Broken South podcast is a comprehensive discussion of the many unique facets that make up Southern culture. The creators of this podcast, Hannah Stewart and Michaela Robinette, are two rural sociology master students and will discuss culinary traditions, political opinions, and agricultural insights specific to the South and rural Alabama. Thank you for joining us. As a disclaimer, any information or opinion shared by myself, Hannah, or any guests on this podcast are not representative of Auburn University or the Rural Sociology Program. Welcome back, everybody. Sorry we have been away. Um, Michaela actually had the opportunity to go back home for her birthday. She's officially 21, so that's been super exciting. Um, Tell me about your trip back home. How was it? It was good. I stayed longer than what I thought I would. but I'm glad that I was able to change my flight and that you were still able to pick me up from the airport um, so that way I could be home. And um, there's some exciting things happening for my family. And I'm. it was really important to me that I was able to be there for that. Um, and so I'm, I'm just really glad that it was good. I will see them again this upcoming weekend. So like the goodbye wasn't like super sad or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'll see them again this upcoming weekend, and then I'll probably ho- go home again for the North Carolina State Livestock Show. Um, but after that, yeah, it's it was it was just really good. It was really good. That's so, great. Yeah, you had a fun weekend while I was gone. But oh yeah. yeah, my I have a good friend that is actually getting his grad degree in Clemson, so he came and visited, okay. and it was really good to see him. So I'm super happy. Um, we just had good weeks all around. We did. It's been pretty good. <laughs> Definitely adjusting much better than I thought I would. Okay. And it's every day gets easier, I think. So yeah. Um, but for today to transition into the topical portion of our podcast, we are taking a social welfare and poverty class, which has been awesome. We both favorite class. Yeah, definitely my. I mean, as much as a poverty class, yeah, class, right. But, yeah, it's a weird topic yeah. to be like. You're like, enjoy- I'm super passionate about it, but it's kind of weird that I am. But you know, it's like it makes you feel sad, but then good that you're actually learning about it and doing like, something about it. It's upsetting that it's a topic that we yeah, have to talk about. Exactly, but. but we have been framing the culture of rural poverty for the past few weeks, so we wanted to kind of discuss what that means and share with the listeners what we've been learning so would you like to ask the first question yeah uh so hannah like one of the first questions that we kind of came up with was like what does the cultural of rural poverty look like and i think it'd be interesting to get your thought process as somebody that's not from really a rural area and not from somebody from the south what that looks like to you and then i'll give my opinion yeah so rural poverty in the north for me um, I noticed, I thought about it as neighborhood structure. So when I came down here, I noticed that middle class and lower class are not very distinct. It seems yeah. that some, in Auburn especially, there are very well-off people and there are not so well-off people within Lee County, I would, I, I, what I've, from what I've seen, um, you turn one street and you see kind of a few decrepit looking houses and non-maintained lawns and then you turn another direction and then it's like a beautiful well-groomed mansion so that was new to me because it's usually there's usually a strict dichotomy in what separates like a rural area and then like a suburb 
from the North, but what it looks like, what it's perceived as, um, is very similar. I can tell you that there is a pretty large bias against what Southern poverty looks like from a Northerner's perspective. Um, I think based on the culture that Nor- Southerners pride themselves off of is very different from yeah. what Northerners experience. And I think just the unknown and just because it's almost uncomfortable, we perceive it as bad. We perceive it as unintelligence. Um, and I'm slowly, I mean, I have my own biases coming down here because right, I'd never lived in the area. So I had the Northerners perspective and that's slowly fading away. But if you just shout out rural poverty, um, our professor was even saying like, if you were to guess, if someone was to give you like three clues about Alabama, he said like, most likely people would be like poverty, racism, football. Yeah. Yeah. Football. And you would know it's either Alabama or Mississippi. Yeah. So that, that's definitely like the Northern perspective on the South. Um, but I mean, poverty, it, there's pockets everywhere yeah. and it all kind of shares like the same core concepts, but it's almost reflected a little different based on its place. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And it was interesting, you and I were talking in a previous conversation about like how you had noticed that like one street, it's like mansions, but then the street over, like over is like rundown houses. And I guess I had never really noticed that, even though as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, oh, like, I know of this neighborhood and that neighborhood that, yes, I see that. And I guess I can understand where you're coming from, where it's like a slow descent into um, poverty and low income. Whereas um, my experience of rural poverty and of the South, it's kind of broken down into three sections for me. It's like old money, new money, and no money. And that's how I've always looked at it. And like, I know the people that are old money live in town and they don't really flaunt it, but like they have big houses that have been in their family for years. And you can say like, oh, that's so-and-so. And you just know their lineage and you know where that came from. And then the new money, they flaunt it. And everybody knows who has new money. Um, and then no money, I feel like, just falls into everybody that's, like, middle class and below, um, where it's, we're just going to do what we need to do. Get and by. Yeah, and, like, I don't know, I kind of grew up in kind of the no money section, um, and so, to me, like, it wasn't strange that I would buy groceries from the Dollar General, but, like, to you, that was, com- you were kind of blown away with that in a previous conversation, and so, like, to me... Rural poverty, it's almost, like, in some situations, like, yes, like, rural poverty is very visible, um, and you can think about, like, the Appalachian houses that are, like, falling to pieces, um, there's a picture that's been circulating on social media within the past few days, um, of, like, a very poor, decrepit house, um, but then there's, like, a Trump 2020 flag on the porch, um, so, like, yeah, we can think about that as, like, rural poverty, but, to me, there's also a section of it that is very invisible. And, like, you don't know if somebody's in poverty because, like, people don't really talk about their finances in the South as much, I feel like. Interesting. And so, yeah, like, we don't talk about money. Like, nobody... So, the church is real big on, like, tithing and, like, money. Like, you'll have, like, church services about money. 
and people really? people like walk out of church because like they don't want to talk about their money. Um, Wait, can you tell me a little bit more about that? That's very about like the church piece or yeah. like people not talking about it. So yeah, so in the Bible, and I don't remember like what verse or anything, but it talks about like giving a certain percentage of all of your earnings to the church. Yep, and um, a pastor, you know, like pastors pick like a topic of the day, like to base their sermons on, and. You'll literally be sitting in church and, like, I feel like talking about, like, money is more uncomfortable than talking about, like, hell or, like, revelations. And, like, people, yeah, like, the preacher will be like, I know we don't want to talk about this, but today we're going to talk about how you need to give your money to the church. And there were almost and always will be, like, just some man that stands in that corner that's like, nope. We're, like, just, and it, or even if they don't physically leave mentally just check out of that and um because it, it goes back to that old money new money no money where it's like you like it's just I feel like people are more private with that type of thing interesting because I know that me and my friends who have just graduated like a very common conversation between us and our like friends family friends they'd be like oh how much are you making oh yeah no don't no yeah I would never like even now that I've taken like I even now like I've taken a more active role in like our family business. I never know how much money like we're making. Interesting. Um yeah, like the only thing I could like would do growing up with like look at my parents and be like, Hey, like are we good? And like they would tell me yes or no, but like I don't know what good means. I don't know what no means. <laughs> like, yeah. Are we eating Easy Mac or are we like going out to the Italian restaurant? Like what are what's the game plan? And so no, I never know, like, what my friends were, like, money, like, my friends were making. Like, Very interesting. Yeah, like, I've been real, like, hesitant to talk about money with you. Like, outside of, like, our personal conversations about, like, yeah. my, what's been happening in my life with financial aid and stuff. But, I mean, you know, it's just a very... Interesting. Yeah, and, like, yeah, I just feel like people are more private about that kind of thing. So, like, rural poverty to me, yeah, like, people can show it, but, like... Quite honestly, I never know if the people sitting beside me are on food stamps or not. Yeah. Like, we all just kind of look the same. We all act the same. And money's like not that. really... Money is kind of taken as, like, a token and, like, a something that you need to have to survive. But it's not something that you need to have to be happy, I feel like. And okay. so, um, that's just kind of what it looks like. So, you would think finance and the portrayal of how you perceive those finances is a big portion of how you would describe rural poverty yeah definitely yeah like we were talking about like in class like maslow's hierarchy of need and like how people can't reach self-actualization unless like they have like the ability to have food and water and like the ability to have money to like access all of these things like no like how you i see i think that's a very northerner and like just a very like not not just not representative of like people that I know and like my my perception and my experiences in like rural south and like living on the like poverty line yeah. and like how that is like just kind of a so who do you think is affected by rural poverty like who is rural poverty rural poverty I feel like I feel like it's just like your average everyday family quite honestly where I live like, I mean, and again, going back to, like, I never knew, like, if my friends, like, because, but again, like, 
everybody that I knew was, like, got free from reduced lunch. Like, most everybody that went to my high school was on, like, that program. So, like, like, to me, like, that was just, like, everybody, like, and so, and I guess, like, if we want to look at it in, like, an actual scientific data way, like, oh, like, poverty affects, like, people of color and, like, affects, like, people that um, are on disability and, like, like, if we want to look at it that way, and, I mean, yeah, that's right, but I feel like people are putting poverty and we're thinking of, like, the person of color that lives in, like, the trailer park and, like, that's what we're imagining, but I feel like that's not an accurate portrayal. Like, yeah, somebody in poverty can be the mom and dad working two jobs and like the kids are still going to school and playing sports and like like we're we're stereotyping it way too much yeah. to me. And it's it is very persistent in areas like the black belt and yeah, areas like, like Appalachia. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't disagree with that. Oh, at any yeah. at any means. It's yeah. just like we're and I feel like too like it's something that occurs with like welfare programs and like policy making and all of the other things is like we're putting that image with rural poverty mm. and we're not addressing that whole other demographic that doesn't look like they're poor and doesn't act like what we imagine a poor person would act like yeah but then um not having that sort of respect for them like something that and again we live in a very like I came from like a very impoverished area of North Carolina um northeast region of North Carolina is has some of the lowest income in the country and my family's in agriculture and we're in like we sell grass-fed beef that's typically like marketed higher um but like something that like me and my family talk about is like just because people are poor doesn't mean they need to be treated like trash and like good things like people that are impoverished still should have access to things that are nice and like they should still have that ability to eat food that, like, didn't come from the McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And, like, but because we're putting the f- emphasis on poverty as, like, the stereotype, we're missing that completely. And when you bring that point up, it makes me think back to an experience that I had in high school. Um, I came from a very white demographic my town I think was like 95% white yeah right um so coming from a place of little diversity and then being able to go on a um a trip where we were able to do some rehabilitation work in Appalachia and West Virginia and Kentucky yeah um it was it was a big shock to a lot of people and I remember there was conversation we would have conversations almost of decompression on the bus ride home and just kind of, we would call it roses and thorns, like, yeah. the good things that happen, and then, like, what is kind of bugging you, and I had some peers and some classmates that were visibly upset with the people who we were helping. Really? Like, what were they upset about? They were upset that the people were, they would refer to them as lazy, they would refer to them as white trash, mm-hmm. um, they would refer to them as dumb. And in my mind, I didn't know how to respond to that Mm -hmm. because um, I understood the culture of poverty because my mother grew up pretty in a severely 
um, impoverished area of yeah. around New York. So I knew that lazy isn't the way to describe these people. Mm-hmm. The, I think coming from such a privileged area where we were able to have some of the best education in the country, like for example, like New York, like its suburbs are very like well-rounded with education. That's just, it's just not the case. Yeah. Right. So even though they are struggling, they live in decrepit areas. They need our help. They're receiving, you know, almost like a minute, like, crumb of the quality yeah. of resources that us as suburban white kids from New York are getting. <laughs> yeah. So they're not lazy. They're not dumb. Yeah. And they're not white trash. But they just are unfortunately placed in an area where they can't have the same experience that we do. And that's yeah. and we were helping mostly white people. Yeah. So it's not the race card. Yeah. It's just, it's place-based. Yeah. I think. I I know I would agree with that. And I think, and I've also had a similar experience working in, like, uh, like West Virginia area, in, like, rural Appalachia. So, when I was in high school, probably 2016, like, there was a whole bunch of flooding in West Virginia. And a friend of me and three of my friends um, went and, like, volunteered with a church up there for a few days. And, like, cleaned houses and did stuff like that. And so... But, see, for me and my experience, like, all of us, like, again, we were, we grew up in a very similar area of, like, the world that they did, and so, like, that never crossed our mind that they were lazy or anything. Um, But I think something that, like, is really important to differentiate is, like, yes, somebody made, in a rural poverty situation, may need our help, but they're not helpless. Correct. And. But I know we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. What does help mean to you? So... To me, help is not devaluing them as a human. Like, and that's where I feel like people get it wrong often. Is, like, somebody will go and, like, work in a soup kitchen and then be like, oh, look at the, like, pitiful poor person that's, like, having to eat out of the soup kitchen. And, or just examples like that. Or, like, people that are like, I'm going to donate my clothes but then they get to the Goodwill or the Salvation Army and they have, like, like animals or, like, stains or, like, animal, like, gross stuff on it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just because, like, and it's almost like an appropriation mm-hmm. of, like, poor people. And yeah, like, I think almost sometimes rich people have, like, yes. almost like a fetish for, yes. for helping poor yes. people. And then it's... It's very much, It's like, portrayed over social media. Yes. It's portrayed, like through conversation and it's yes. like petty work <laughs> yes see to me and like people talk about like oh like the white missionaries that go to like africa and stuff and take pictures with like all the cute little orphan children mm-hmm. but then don't actually do any work mm-hmm. that totally happens oh yeah in rural america yep. like and <laughs> we and again not not like knocking people coming to help like I think what you and your friends did whenever you guys went help like that's admirable and I love that and like I'm know that those people were grateful that you were there to help them but like that doesn't devalue the fact that like those people are fully capable of living a life that is good to them yeah 
and it may not meet the same standards of what a good life is to somebody in like New York or DC or like any other major city um, or like good urban area but that doesn't mean that it's not good to them absolutely and yeah and like yes rural people should still have access to the same like levels of internet and like cell service like I just got off the phone with my parents and we were only on the phone for like 10 minutes but four of that four of those minutes were I can't hear you you're breaking up like I know what your road you're on you might have to call me back like and that's and that's just almost where like I feel like rural poverty could be solved or at least mitigated more if we put more money into those infrastructures to help them yeah like if you give somebody access to internet, then, like, they can take a work-from-home job. Yeah. And there, like, we put somebody in an employment. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's also important to point out, even, like, with COVID. Yeah. Like, how, even though the density, like, for example, in New York, obviously, it was the epicenter of the world for quite yeah. a bit. Yes. Um, but I'm so sorry. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> well, me. I'm a, I'm upstate, but um, in rural areas, it's doubling. Every, it's like almost faster yeah. than it would. The redoubling rate yeah, yeah, is yeah. faster. Yeah. Even though the density is much less, and everyone is much more spread out. So, I think that's just an example of how maybe we don't want to fund rural areas because of. Like, what's there? Well, and, like... That's, we I'm, talk, not, I'm not no, saying no, that's no, no, my no, opinion, no. but, like, you know... But, and, like, going off of that, like, most of those places in rural areas don't have ICUs. Yeah. Like, so, like, is the redoubling rate because people in rural areas get Less sick access, easier? or yeah, like probably can older they, people. Yeah, like, like, I feel like there's so many more variables to oh, that yeah. statistic that, like... Graying population, lack of access to mm. transportation to get to the hospital, yeah. lack of access to get, like, the drugs, no doctor. Like, we can go, we can make a pretty substantial list mm-hmm. on, like, why that may be. And, but again, if we invested the infrastructure to rural America, would we have that issue? Yeah. Or this, or the same intensity, would we have that issue? Yeah. That's pretty evident for natural disasters as well. Yeah. A lot of people Absolutely. in rural poverty are living in floodplains. They're Absolutely. living in areas of drought. And my favorite is, my favorite excuse is just sell your house. Oh Who are you gosh. selling it to, Aquaman? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, my gosh. I could talk. So I live in, again, eastern North Carolina. We have the Tar River. Mm-hmm. And it's, so Tar River goes straight through my county. And Half of it is, like, and so in Edgecombe County, there's Tarboro and there's Princeville, and they both, like, border the river. Princeville was the first incorporated town by uh, blacks in the United States. And so, like, lots of, like, history surrounding Princeville, but it's in a floodplain, and literally every, every time it rains real hard, every time we get a hurricane, Princeville's underwater. And... Yeah, and people are like, sell your house. You just need to get out of there. And in some ways, I agree with you who you're going to sell your house to. But then, literally, the government will not put in the correct infrastructure to prevent Princeville from flooding. Mm -hmm. And so, like, yeah, like, as somebody who 
when I'm home during a hurricane, I live on the highest point in Edgecombe County. So, like, we get rain, but, like, my house never floods. And I'm saying that, and I'm going to knock on wood there. Um, so, like, we go and help other people. And, yeah, we get frustrated because, like, my uncle is on a boat saving dogs. And, like, I'm working at a shelter, like, trying to keep kids entertained. And, like, but in the same breath, there's more issues to that. And I agree with that. Like, yeah. We need to do a better job of that. I'm actually taking a natural hazards and risk assessment course. and How is that? You haven't talked a lot about it. Yeah. Um, well, we just kind of got started. We had a late, uh-huh. a late beginning because my professor actually just took a job at UConn. Okay. So he's just not even in the area. So his brain has been a little frazzled, which I completely yeah. understand. But one <laughs> no of the judgment. yeah, absolutely. One of the key takeaways I had from some of the papers we were reading is what a part of what makes a lot of areas, rural areas, even vulnerable is we continue to redevelop and restructure things after a hazard, after a natural disaster, to the to the state that it was before instead yes. of. Making it better, yes. making it just more able to withstand the brunt of what will happen in the future. And because of climate yes. change, we're going to have more <laughs> intense, more frequent yeah. um, hurricanes, more intense droughts. Yes. Um, could go on. Yeah. Intense weather patterns. So, and I think that's just another notable thing. Like, we are, we're subsisting. Yes. And the areas and the people who need it the most are usually the ones that are thrown under the bus. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that. Have I told you that in North Carolina, in the North Carolina legislature, it's um, you can't use the word climate change in any form of policy. So that will like, not surprise me. It's it's absolutely ridiculous because we're going to be experiencing issues like what you just mentioned, and like we literally had made it so we we can't even talk about it, and like the people that are and put in place to fix a problem or offer solutions to a problem are not allowed to talk about it. Yeah, and. Yeah, that's going to be real fun within the next <laughs> upcoming years. That's just hard to even create a dialogue out of what's currently most visibly happening. Yeah, like, oh yeah, how do you talk about something if you're not allowed to, to put say it? it? Yeah. Like, and you're just trying to help people out. Like, yeah. the reason why you didn't grow anything is because of the drought. Yes. It's climate change. Like, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm supposed you to, like, say- leave notes in people's mailboxes, like, anonymously? Yeah, you can be like, oh, it's a drought, like, because yeah. of the drought. You pick like, your can, battles. Yeah, and literally, like, they'll call, like, a point of order within, like, the committee meeting or whatever yeah. and be like, yeah, you can't say that. That's and, crazy. Yeah, and so... Especially being on the coastline of North you, Carolina. You would think. You would think, right? You would think. You would... You would pro- and, like, especially with how bad hurricanes have gotten. Like, in the past 20 years, we've had three 100-year floods. Yeah. Like, in my community, like... That's not normal. That's not normal. That's not normal at all. We, we can call BS on that one. <laughs> like, and I feel like it's just taking ownership of what's happening... Whether you believe it's human-induced or not. Yeah, I don't, just, I don't care. It's a literal scientific fact that things are happening. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, I don't care what you think the reason is. Yeah. How can we fix it? And how can we make it so that people who are going to be affected, which are these people that are put in places where like there is high concentrations of poverty, how, mm-hmm. how do we make it so they suffer less? So we talked a lot about place-based... Um, poverty. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of go into detail to tell our listeners what that theory kind of? Yeah. So like claims. 
there's like people based and place based poverty and again I'm looking at you to correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but people based is like oh, a certain section, like subgroup of people are like in poverty. Kind of. Yeah. So like you could say that like people who are immigrants live in poverty, um, or you can make it like and again example, but or you can say it's place based where like a specific location is in poverty, um, and I think that it's definitely a combination of both. But it's easier to be more specific about a place base. Yeah, especially when a lot of those places are persistently yes. recurring with poverty. Yes. Like, to me, I feel like it's more accurate to say, like, the specific location is in poverty rather than saying, like, this particular group across the entire country is in poverty. Yeah. Which, again, probably still accurate. Like, we could talk about Native Americans on that. Um Rather than place-based yeah. being, like, individual reser- reservations. Yeah, it might um, be less... Uh, demoralizing maybe yeah yeah that's what I was thinking yeah like oh did say like people or place place yeah I think so too like I think I I think I feel nicer emphasis, yeah yes <laughs> emphasis on the area rather than the group of people making yes. it their fault yes almost. yeah I definitely agree I definitely I especially like what we've been reading what we've been discussing it's easy to place the blame on the person for their situation if you make it people-based i mean not to mention that we live in a deeply rooted racist society which also perpetuates that but that's something else to talk about i feel like it's so easy to discriminate and make it a negative thing if like we say people-based like absolutely i can like and especially if we're looking at ways to help them if we say like oh the people are in poverty and like we need to help this group of people and again kind of going back to like spotlights yeah and like going back to like the white missionary Mm -hmm. like analogy like and again they need help they're not helpless yeah and so after we've talked about all these vulnerabilities what do you think can help make these areas resilient i think putting a more emphasis on community support Mm -hmm. um and that's something, too, that we've been talking about in class, like, about how, like, there's a lack of, like, community centers in rural areas. And I think our professor disagrees with me, but, like, churches are definitely something that I would consider community centers. Um, especially in the South. Yeah, especially in the South. I would consider, like, even certain restaurants and, like, certain gas stations as, like, places of community. I have a funny um, story <laughs> about that. So yes. my economics professor, oh, I miss him so much. He actually just Facebook messaged me today. <laughs> he talked about third place a lot. Okay. Um, so your first place would be home, your second place would be work, and where is that third place that you spend oh, your time? Oh, I like that. Yeah. I really like so, that. So, like, that church, that restaurant would technically be a third place. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Makes sense, though, right? That does make sense. And and I feel like that differs from each person, and even each person in a family group, I feel like that differs. Like, oh, yeah. Like, my grandma, her third place would either be church or, like, the Italian restaurant in town. Mine would be a bar. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think at this stage of yeah. my life, mine would be the Auburn Public Library. Correct. Correct. <laughs> um, would be yeah. my third place. The dog park. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, and I think providing like, I don't think it should be the the I don't think it should be the role of like a like state body of government or like 
a, like, federal body of government or even, like, a group of people to be, like, this is how I'm going to give you the support and, like, I'm going to pinpoint this. As, like, a third-party person, I think they need to go to a place in the community that is better able to offer that support and be, like, okay, I'm going to sh- help you so that way you can help others. Yeah. And so what do you think about that? Um, I think just the dissemination of education is so important. Um, so important. Unfortunately, yeah. we live in a society where education, at least high quality education, is only yeah. given to the people who can afford it. Yeah. People are getting into the schools because they can pay for SAT tutors. They can pay for people to help them apply. Mm-hmm. Right. And that luxury isn't given to a lot of people who are struggling in our well, country. Yeah. And like there's even like st- studies that have been d- shown that students that live in earl- urban areas have an easier time of getting into schools than people in rural areas yeah not only because like access to money to like pay for things like that but like kids in rural areas can't go to like museums mm-hmm. and can't go to like theaters Experience those things well. yeah like theaters yeah. and like get to you know like get to interact with that like diversity and like yeah. see what's out there Absolutely. like um and so, yeah, no, definitely yeah, the I education piece is so important. So important. And especially in breaking that cycle of poverty and, like, mm-hmm. showing people that, like, this is this one way of life, like, there is a way to get there. And yeah. let me give you the tools to, like, help bring yourself there. And even through education, we can educate, you know, those privileged people on the culture of poverty. Yeah. You know, Show them that. We're all in the same country. Yes. It's not a counterpart. It's your neighbor it's your fellow countrymen yeah um and that cycle of poverty and that impoverished person does not look like the stereotype of yeah. what you're thinking oh it does. absolutely and i think public transportation is also a huge one um i agree look, with that if we look at other countries in europe who have more of a transnational train station and more available bus stations it might be part of the solution in which you know someone can have access to food that isn't fast food that isn't mcdonald's um that also in turn would save people a lot of money on their own gas yes um yeah decrease emissions um i know like even i've never really experienced public transportation i grew up in the suburbs and there was nothing yeah like where why would you need it i mean i'm saying that kind of ironically but and then that obviously doesn't exist in rural areas too because it w- takes probably like 15 minutes for a yeah. lot of people to go even into somewhere like remotely yeah. resembling a town and it, my house can't even get like food delivery service yeah. i can't imagine yeah. like a taxi driving yeah. in front of my house yeah exactly i don't I think, think that'd go well <laughs> yeah i think ride sharing is definitely helping like uber and lyft and yeah. stuff okay but i mean that's not equally distributed everywhere yeah. i think i'd be real like nervous to do something like that that calm really like, yeah i think like we have uber like i've seen people that drive uber okay like, around but i don't think it's many like it's yeah. definitely and it's probably expensive yeah definitely and like i would be really nervous to drive for uber and my and like lyft and stuff just yeah. because like there's so many country backgrounds. Uh-huh. You're that, alone like, with someone you don't know. Yeah, like mm-hmm. especially as a woman. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I, <laughs> I would definitely need some form of protection with me if I were to do that. And mm-hmm. I feel like, I yeah, I feel like there's definitely a different level of risk of taking public transportation, even if it's available. 
like in an urban area versus a rural area this is very true like even like we have a bus system that takes you like to the hospital and stuff like if Uh you need it but how often does that run well it's like a call like it's oh good good, i guess it's more like a shuttle okay than like emergency shuttle that's also like a really good plan because i know yeah but hospitals is another one too because in rural areas what if the closest hospital to you is like 45 minutes away okay so and again, my experience, can't speak for the whole South, whatever, but, like, we live 20 minutes to the nearest hospital. Mm-hmm. So far, but, like, could be worse. Yep. It took, we had to call the sheriff's department and, like, EMS out to our farm um, a few months ago, and it took them over an hour and a half to get there. And at that point, like... The sheriff's not, like, the problem's already fixed by the time sheriff yeah. gets there. and if you're going into cardiac arrest, you don't yeah, have an you hour. You don't have, no. So, like, my brother got in a really bad accident with, like, a dog whenever he was five. And, like, we didn't have time to wait for an ambulance. Like, no, like, we held his body together and took him to the hospital ourselves. Like, that's what you have to do. And, like, that's that's concerning. But also, like... Again, going back to the poverty piece, I'm like, can the people in these rural communities even afford an, like, an uh, ambulance ride? I can't. Like, I, no, no, <laughs> I know I can't. I know. I'm telling you now, and I've told everybody, like, if I'm ever in a situation where it's, like, between, like, an ambulance or, like, you can drive me yourself. Give me a Razor scooter because I'm taking it. Yes. Drive <laughs> me. Do not put me in an ambulance. Yeah. Like, I don't have two grand to spend on a ride. No. And, like, and, like, so, again... We're, we're, this is like a literally this giant circle and it all leads back to the same point and like you've solved one problem but it's going to cause another. And expose you to more problems. And exactly. It's literally peeling an onion here. Yep. And I feel like the longer we talk about this tonight, the more we're going to. Go crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm okay with admitting that I don't know the answer to a lot of problems. Oh no. And I don't, and I don't feel like it's up to like you and me Sitting in my bedroom, like <laughs> in the to, dark. <laughs> I know, but like natural light. Come yeah, on, yeah. Um, and like I don't feel like it's up to us right now to figure out those problems, but I definitely feel like it's something that like you and I in the position that we're in is to like talk about them at mm. least and bring attention to the people that job it is to solve these problems and be like, yeah, and maybe one day hey, that'll be us. Ooh, maybe. I feel like that'd be really scary. <laughs> you and I were in charge of solving the world's problems. I think we could do, do it. a great job. I think we People could do People would be it. afraid of us, for sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They'd be like, who are them girls? <laughs> <laughs> On our liberal agenda. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Well, this was really good. I'm glad we yeah. got to decompress about this. And absolutely. Talking about poverty is not something that I guess should be enjoyable by any means. It's heavy. But it's heavy it is stuff. heavy. It is heavy. But, but it's important. It is, and sometimes we have to go through the heavy things to get through the light things. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in um, again, and we will be back next week.